We're on this little series called The Healthy Church, and um, we talked a little bit about, just before Pastor Michelle came and preached, we talked about God wants to finish His work through us and bring us to completion, and then he wants to talk to, we talked about how we built his church. And Paul said, I, I came to you and I built your church. I know how to do that. And we shared the message of how we did that in Thessalonica. And today I want to talk about the same church where Paul comes along and he gives this kind of interesting definition of what a church should look like. What, what, is, what does it really look like? And it, I actually call it the, the wow of the church because I think it actually, it actually fits. Uh, I, I really love children. How, how, many, how many of you are grandparents? Let me see your hands again. Oh, see, I, you understand this. I, I really loved, I've always loved children. Uh, when, I, when I was just a young boy, I was fourth in a family, and by the time I was born, my oldest sister was 13. She got married at 17, and by the time she was 30, she had seven children. Yeah, exactly. So I was raised around children. There were lots of them in our family connection, and so I, I really have always, always loved children. And then when I had children, it got better, and then when I had grandchildren, it got better still. So I, I don't know how family tradition started in your home, but little things started in ours that were just kind of, I just, just kind of fun, just to be together. So I have two granddaughters. Actually, I got a picture of my grandkids. Well, four of them. So I have two granddaughters, and I don't know where this started, but when we leave, I always kiss them. I kiss them on the forehead, and I started kissing them once for each year. Well, my granddaughter is now 15. This takes longer than it should. <laughs> Just hilarious. And one year, remember COVID? Remember when COVID happened? So I got thinking, you couldn't even get together at Christmas and COVID. It was awful. And so I was listening to the radio. I only listen to news and sports. I don't listen to anything else on radio. I'm not very musical. I'm not very talented. Anyway, so I don't know where somebody came up with this idea and they had this Christmas riddle. And I, it just hit me and I thought, what a great thing to do. We can't be together. So every day starting on December the 1st, I called my grandkids and I shared three Christmas riddles with them every day right up to including December the 25th. Three a day. That's 75, folks. Do you know how hard that was? By the way, just in passing, I know it's not Christmas, but what's, what goes oh, oh, oh at Christmas? Santa Claus walking backwards. Well, I'm glad to choose, yeah, I know, they're sick, I know, pathetic. Maybe one more. What's a stripe red, white, and blue at Christmas? A really sad candy cane. I know. See, and my wife said, that's what she did too. She's, oh, Bill, you got, these are awful. I got to stop. And so I said to my kids, do you want me to stop? And they said, no, Papa, please don't stop. So every day, three of them. And by the middle, they're now looking them up and giving them to me. I just love how traditions can get started. I just love how it really works. Uh, one of these started when our daughter was really little. She was three or four years old. And I, she's an early riser at the time. I don't know if that's still true, but I'm an early riser. And I would get up, and she would get up when she heard me up, and, and she would come in the bathroom when I would shave. And she would stand and stare at me while I was shaving. I've never liked the feel of, a, of hair in my face, so I shave it off every day. And, uh, and so then after, in those days, we, you know, there was no perfume issues in those days. I would put aftershave lotion on, and I'd put it on my hands, and I'd put it on my face, and then I'd bend over to her, and I would rub her cheeks with the aftershave lotion, and I would go, wow. And she'd look at me, and she would go, wow. 
And one day, she thought she would do this on her own. I wasn't there at the time, and Sheila and I were in the kitchen. We heard this piercing scream, like she was so dramatic, piercing scream. And we ran downstairs to the bathroom, and she had tried to do this on her own. And in the process, she shaved all the skin off the top of her nose. There was blood everywhere. It was just, it was far, not really, no, she's not scarred. There's no, you know, it, was, it was more drama than it, but there was a lot of blood. And she just thought she would do it on her own. So when she got married, I talked to her about the wow of being married. Huh. Oh, sorry, I just had a grandfather moment, a father moment there. Uh, so here's the wow. You see, it's the wonder of loving somebody and being loved by somebody. Do you do re- How many of you are married here? You do realize that sometimes they love you because of you, and sometimes they love you in spite of you. <laughs> like the wonder of being married, the wonder of being loved, the wonder of somebody in your life who cares about you, sometimes more than you care about yourself. Like that's amazing when you think of it. It just... Sheila and I, this year, 55 years this year of doing this. At least 50 of them have been good. <laughs> and then there's the order. That, that's the practice of marriage. That's the, 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 the order, the daily living, the things you do every day to make life work. And then there's the fact that we're Christians and we actually believe in our, in our marriage. There's the third partner. It's not just two people in the relationship. But God is part of that. And so I shared that as my little homily at their wedding based on the story, told the story of her when she was a little girl. And, and then I, I looked at this and I got thinking, wow, that's, that's a pretty good order for the church. That's really not a bad deal. And I discovered in the scriptures as Paul's talking about this church in Thessalonica that he describes a wow of the church with the same kind of idea of wonder and order and worship. And I thought I would share that with you today. I think it really matters. I think it makes a difference in who the church is. And so here's what he said. We always thank God for all of you mentioning you in our prayers. We continually remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. I don't often do this, but that's powerful enough. It's worth reading again. We always thank God for all of you mentioning you in our prayers. We continue to remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. God, this is so significant. These few words are so profound that I pray, God, that today you would implant them in our hearts and the wonder of them the order of them, the worship that's in them. And you would do something in this church in our hearts individually and give us a sense of wow, of God. I ask it in your name. Amen. So the first thing I see in this is this whole thing called wonder. We always thank God for all of you mentioning you in our prayers. We continually remember before you before our God and Father. The first thing we see here is this wonderful thing from Paul as he writes this letter to this church is this thing called a relationship. 
This, this is amazing, you see. Remember we talked about this two weeks ago? Paul shows up in Thessalonica, and he goes to the synagogue, and he shares the story of Jesus. And he goes to the marketplace, and he shares the story of Jesus. And along the way, he says to them, when I was with you, I was like a mother with you, I was like a father with you, I was like a brother with you, and all of you came into the kingdom. So you're part of my family now. I love you. I love you like a mother with, with unconditional, unlimited love with total affection. I, I love you like a brother. We're equals in the kingdom. We have companionship and fellowship and friendship. And I love you like a father. I want to instruct you and build you up and hold you firm in the faith. I love you. I have a relationship with you. It matters to me. And, and it's so amazing when you think about it because the people he's talking to just months before and years before, few years before have groveled at the feet of idols and worshiped false gods. And Jesus has come in and changed their lives and transformed them dramatically. Any of you outside of the kingdom at one point in your life? That's what God did for you. And Paul loves them with this Love that can only happen in the kingdom. I have to confess, I, I, I love the church. I love how God takes different people from all walks of life and different abilities and socioeconomic standards and different education and different looks and he puts us all together and he calls us one. We're miracles of faith. Every one of us are miracles of God. Every one of us are people who did not deserve the kingdom, and he comes and gives it to us anyway. Every one of us have been touched by Jesus Christ and transformed by grace and transformed by mercy. It's phenomenal, folks. You know what mercy and grace are. Mercy is God not giving us what we do deserve, and grace is God giving us what we don't deserve. We need to repeat that once in a while because we're all recipients of that. Well, that's what Paul is saying here. He says, I just, I love this church. You don't have to be perfect to be here. <laughs> Isn't that good news? And for most of us, if the church was perfect and we showed up, it would stop being perfect as soon as we arrived. This is the place for ordinary people. This is the place for broken and wounded people. This is the place for hungry people. This is a place for people who desire God. All of this, we're on a journey. And Paul says, I, um, not only do I love you, but I pray for you. I, um, I, I love that. This is, um, this is more than just words. This is, this is Paul remembering them in prayer. I've, this has probably never happened to you, but it's happened to me a few times. I've had some kind of need, and somebody will say to me, I'm going to pray for you. And I know as soon as they say it, it's just words. It's just Christian jargon. I know they're not going to pray for me. They're going to forget me as soon as they turn away from me. Am I the only one that's ever happened to? See? But that's not true with Paul. And it shouldn't be true with us either. I got a call. Somebody told me here two Sundays ago. Uh, and so I called the person involved. He's a friend of mine and his wife there's some kind of a virus, and she's in hospital and really ill, like really ill. She has Jillian Barr syndrome, G-U-I-L-L-A hyphen B-A-R-R-E. So she has all of her extremities, her hands, her feet, her, and now she can't move them. There's no feeling. Uh, she can't breathe on her own. She's still in hospital. So Sheila and I just went to Paris for a week, and I have to confess, you don't stop praying. 
Pray for her every day. Pray for them every day. Pray for them now. As soon as I got back, the first text I sent was, how is she? Well, that's the church, folks. That's what Paul's doing here. And I can tell you that if we'll do that, if we'll bear one another's burdens, if we'll lift one another up, we can transform the church. And if we transform the church, we can transform the community because people want to belong to that kind of community. It, it isn't just, oh, I'll pray for you and then we, we, we don't do No, no, this is really, really, really actually praying for people. This is a me and we together. We're in this together. Look around for a minute, would you? You need everybody sitting around you. And they need you. It's the body of Jesus. And then <laughs> it just becomes the church when that happens. And, and Paul also rejoices with them. I, I, I love the fact that the church is supposed to be a rejoicing church. I've said this before. Please forgive me for saying it again. I think we pray well. I think we bear one another's burdens, and we should, and we just talked about that. But I, I, don't, think, I don't think we party enough. I don't think we rejoice enough. I think there ought to be more parties. Some years ago, I was invited to a golf tournament. And I'm not a good golfer. I've never broken, well, I have broken 100 recently, but for a long time I never did. 80% of all golfers never break 100. By the way, this is called a driver. For those of you who don't know golf, this is the biggest club they make. I was invited to this golf tournament. There were 144 golfers at this tournament. And I had the 142nd worst score. I just want you to know that's not good. I normally shoot about 104 to 108. I shot 122 that day. 122. And I played with three golfers that all shot in the 80s. I don't know if you know this or not, but when you shoot, if you get the worst score at any hole, then you shoot last at the next one. So I shot last all day. And I'm on the 17th hole, and the guy in front of me, the first guy who shot was a policeman. He picked up a five iron, which is much smaller than this, 175 yards. Golf is still in the imperial system. It's not metric. 175 yards, and he hit the ball, and it actually hit the flag. There's a flag stick in the green. He hit the flag, and it rolled past the hole. So it's my turn. I, this is too big a club for 175. I was so frustrated by this time, I just didn't care. So I put that ball down and I took my driver. You can, do you notice the form? I have a little more since we were in Paris because we discovered lemon tarts. I've often said if I wasn't set, if I wasn't out of shape, I wouldn't have any shape at all. So, and I just nailed it for all I was worth. Right in front of the green was a bunker. Do you know what a bunker is? It's a hole filled with sand. And I thought, oh great, there goes my ball right to the bunker. And, I'm, and this is in my head as I'm watching the ball fly through the air. I thought, I've been in the water and I've been in the woods all day. I might as well go to the beach. <laughs> that was in my head. It's incredible. And for some reason, the ball just went over the top of the bunker, bounced to rough grass, long grass around the bunker. Terrible bounced through the rough, bounced onto the green, changed direction, and rolled in the hole. <laughs> Folks, I shot the second worst score of 144 golfers. I was 142nd, and one hole only took one shot. <laughs> Think how bad that was. 
the reality is if anybody got a hole in one of that tournament, they actually won a car. I won a car. <laughs> True. Absolutely. Star I don't know if you can read the small print. It says, Duffer wins car with hole in one. And at the bottom it said, the Reverend William Morrill of Bethel Church obviously had extra help. <laughs> that's what it actually that's what it actually said. Hilarious. What was interesting to me was the reaction of the church people. A few people kind of rejoiced. Well, I should tell you about the car. First of all, I just bought a new car, and the dealer was very, they don't buy a car, they buy an insurance policy. So the dealer allowed me to have dealer place. I put it in my yard, and I sold it, and we made money, got money out of the car. And my wife said, I wanted to pay our mortgage down, and she said, no, this is found money. Let's use it for family stuff. So we tithe, we gave our money to God, the right thing to do. And then we took our kids to Disney for the first time and Sheila and I had a romantic holiday in Barbados, just the two of us. And I did buy myself a new set of golf clubs. <laughs> Didn't fix a thing, <laughs> not any better than before. Oh dear. Some of the church people were so interesting. Some of them said, congratulations, pastor. One of them actually wrote me a letter and said this, I knew your, our father always loved you more than me. <laughs> and a number of people came to me and they asked me this question. Who are you going to give the money to? And I said, well, I thought, me. <laughs> you know, think of what it would be like if we could be in a church so we actually could rejoice with people when they get promotions. When they graduate from high school, when they graduate from university, when they get a new job, when they have a new baby, when they get healed, when God answers a prayer, that's the church that Paul was part of. Paul was part of a rejoicing church. Oh, God, help us to rejoice. Help us to learn to celebrate one another's victories, not just, thank God for praying for the burdens. Please don't stop doing that. But let's be the church that rejoices with one another and celebrates one another. Teach me to love others the way you first loved me. That's the heart of it all right there. And then there's regard. I, I'm so amazed at this church. You see, Paul had such affection for them that they, they just formed this bond together that there was such regard for one another that, that, that there was just affection from Paul to them and from them back. And, and can I be honest? That's what I'm praying for your future with Pastor Michelle, that you're going to write a new love story together, what the kingdom is about. And you're going to love Pastor Michelle, and she's going to love you, and you're going to have such regard for each other that in that process, exploits get done for God because together you become more than you can be alone. Together you're going to do something amazing for the kingdom. The regard you have for each other, the affection you have, the, 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 the respect will transform this church. Transforms all of us. And that's what Paul's talking about in this first definition. He says there's such a, there's such a wonder of the church. The wonder of regard, the wonder of recognition, the wonder of remembering and prayer, the wonder of rejoicing, the wonder of celebrating one another, the wonder of being amazed at the grace of God in each of our lives. Wow, Paul says. It's God's love story. And you're part of that here. I know you're not in Thessalonica, I know that, but you're part of God's love story. It's the wow of the church. Wonder. Would you say it with me? Wow. And then he goes on and says this, and then there's order in the church. There's actually things that have to be done. 
It's not just the wonder of it all, but, but look what he says. He describes it. This is the best definition of a church I've ever read anywhere. Your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope. The Bible simply says this, that when you love God and you receive Him by faith and you believe in Him by faith, and you don't need to work to have faith, and you don't need to work to be loved by God, and you don't need to work to be in God, you don't need to work to do any of that. But once you love God and you're in God, you will work because that's what faith does. Faith causes us to want to serve the one we love. Faith causes us to be loved by Him and wants us to respond to His love by loving other people. And so we work. We actually start with faith, and faith leads to works. It just does it all the time. And I believe with all of my heart that God has a certain plan for each of you individually in this church. He actually has a plan for you. It's slightly different than everybody else's. And so the key is not to live somebody else's life. The key is to live your own in God, on behalf of God and on behalf of one another. I prayed for a long, long time, God, help me to be what you want me to be so I can do what you want me to do. If you'll do that, God will take you at your word. And God will allow faith to flow through your life into the lives of others. And you'll see God do amazing things through you. It sounds so simple, but it just works. That's how faith actually works. And then he says, when that happens, love works through you. Think about it now. You just love somebody. And faith uses that to work in them and transform them. Sometimes it's miraculous. Sometimes it's just transformation. Who wouldn't welcome that? Hmm. And then it's love that actually comes out of that. So it's interesting that he uses the word work produced by faith, and then he uses the word labor prompted by love. It's slightly different because the work produced by faith starts with faith and then works, but love is simply a recognition of God in us and God working through us. And, and hear my heart here. This is going to sound contrary a little bit to what you've heard before, I think. Sometimes we ask people to do the things of, the, of God, and we're not ready, and it falls flat, and it doesn't work. I'm not asking you to work, not first. I'm asking you to know you're loved by God first. I talked to somebody just this week who's broken and wounded a little bit, and they're just struggling. And I just, we talked about how much God loves them, and that's what they needed to know. They needed to know that God loves them. And so that's where you start, folks. It doesn't start with you loving others. It's hard to love others, isn't it? Have you noticed how many people are unlovable? Or unloving? It only really works when we understand that God loved us when we were like that. And when God pours his love in, we have to labor then. We labor to understand his love for us. And only then are we really equipped to love other people. It doesn't start with us. And sometimes we manufacture it. Sometimes we work too hard at it. No, 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 no. Stop and rest at the feet of Jesus if you like. Open the scripture. Open your heart. Open your mind and worship. And let God come in and speak his love to you. And then you have a foundation with which to love. And that love reaches. 
I don't know if this will make sense to you. There's so many pieces I want to share with you here. You see, here's some things that love reaches. Here's here's what it does. It is always seeking for something to do for somebody else, for God and people. I call it random acts of love, random acts of service. I practice. I really work hard at this. We look for things to do for other people randomly, whether they need it or not. (laughs) They usually do. You're looking to always help somebody. You're looking to step in and say, can I help make a difference in your life? There's kind of a cute story that goes with this. Sheila, I'm not sure why we're there. Sheila and I were in my car, and we were driving to Canadian Tire. We pulled in the parking lot at Canadian Tire, and I saw this guy come out of the store with a bunch of bundles on top of a cart, and he actually had bought a patio set. And so he had tables and four, a table and four chairs. And I watched him. We just sat and watched him. He couldn't get it in his car. His car wasn't big enough. So I got out of my car, and I went over to him, and I said, listen, uh, you don't know me at all, but I'd be glad to help you. Why don't you put a couple of chairs in my car, and I'll follow you to your house, and you can, have it, you can get it home in one trip. And, he looked, and I'm, not, I'm not that dishonest-looking, folks, I don't think, but he looked at me, and I could see his mind working and thinking, if I gave him those two chairs, I'll never see them again. <laughs> so he came up with a brainstorm. This is hilarious. We got a table and three chairs in his car, and he got his wife and a, ta- a chair in my car. <laughs> exactly. He wouldn't trust me with two chairs, but he gave me his wife. <laughs> hilarious. I don't know. Okay. Sheila was with me. Sheila it was fine. Sheila was with me. Who needs you to touch their life today? Who needs you? Just, you don't even know. We don't know. But when we're sensitive to God and we want to do face works and we want to labor in love, we've let God love us first, it makes us sensitive to other people around us. Because you see, love is never idle. It is always busy. It delights in being busy on behalf of others. Likes to do what it can, where it can, how it can, for whom it can, whether it be small or big, it doesn't matter. And it's not hindered by incidental challenges or frustrations or even obstacles. Love is always this. Love is self-denying grace. It is not about me, it's about you. It's always that. Love labors energetically to promote the glory of God, the benefit of others, and the salvation of others. Love causes us to attempt things we might never have considered on our own. <laughs> Long time ago, I was pastoring in Smith Falls, and we had three or four families from about 30 miles away come into our church and all got saved at the same time. And I really felt God speak to my heart about them because if there were those three families, there must be others. And so I went and rented a small hall. At that very time, the only church in that little community closed down the week before. And before I knew it, I had 50 people meeting every week. Most of them not even believers. And I watched one after another come to faith. Folks, I would have never done that on my own. I wouldn't have even thought of that. A little town of about 12 houses. we got 50 people who are new in the kingdom. See, somehow when we just put our lives in God's hands, He speaks by His Spirit. And it's not because I was a pastor. It's all of us. God doesn't just speak to pastors. I love the story of a kid praying with a kid and they get healed. Did you hear that? No pastor involved with that. 
God doesn't need a pastor for you to be godly. God doesn't need a pastor for you to serve God. It helps in some measure, but when you start practicing love, you can do that. Amazing. Love could even make unpleasant tasks pleasant. I don't know what you don't like to do in your house, but neither Sheila nor I like vacuuming. So every once in a while when I want to prove I love her, I vacuum. I can go so fast, folks, you don't even need to turn the machine on. Hmm. Why do we do that? Because we do it in love. Have you ever done something for your spouse you didn't really want to do, but you did it because you love them? Like every day? Well, why not do that little of that for other people? Not just your kids. Love labors to benefit others when they don't understand and might even be upset about it. I love this. Love stands with those that no one else stands with. Love champions those so they're never alone. When I got saved and uh, when I came to faith, it was a wonderful church with some wonderful people. But they're a little bit negative at times. And, you know, you were allowed to serve God there, but you weren't allowed to make any mistakes. Because if you made mistakes, they kind of beat you up a bit. And I remember a young man came into our church and gave his heart to Jesus. Terrible family background. Alcoholism everywhere in his family. And he really struggled. And I heard the criticism. And I'm so grateful for my pastor who stood with him and caused me to want to stand with him. I pray if you're here today and you need somebody to stand with you, that we'll surround you with people who will champion you. Because that's the kingdom. That's what love does. Love doesn't throw out babies with bathwater. Love stands with people that are hurting and broken and wounded and on a journey to faith. We had so many people saved in that church. It doesn't mean much these days, but one of my board members came to me in a board meeting and said, Pastor, I'm concerned about our church. We have so many people smoking on the front steps of our church every Sunday. It doesn't matter as much these days. It mattered then. And I remember saying to him two things. I said, I pray that we have people standing in our steps of our church smoking every Sunday. I just pray every six months is a different group of people. And I asked him a question. I said, did you smoke? He said, I did. I said, how long were you a believer before you quit? He said, two years. I said, well, why would we not be patient with other people if God is? And I don't know what you've discovered, but I've discovered when we pick at sins at other people, usually they're the ones we never had a problem with or we've already conquered. Just a thought. And sometimes God is dealing with way deeper things with them than some superficial thing that we think is wrong. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love waits and loves and works and champions. It's the definition of the church. Maybe a couple more. Love covers and protects and drives back the enemy. Love loves even when the fruit of our love is enjoyed by somebody else and somebody else even gets the credit. Love does not ask how little can I do, but how much can I do. Love labors without thought of reward. It's never reward seeking. 
Love delights in its call to serve. It is holy extravagance towards God and others, and there's no real love without effort. Do you see why I'm saying to you, this is not something we can manufacture. This is not something we can put on. We need to get this from God. We need God to come and show us again how much he loves us so that in his love, by his power and his presence in us, we can actually love like he loves. We can't do it on our own. And if you're struggling to do that, please stop. Get at the feet of Jesus and welcome him in your life in a way that his love is so manifested to you. God loves you. That in that revelation, we begin to actually do labor called love. Because see, whatever else love does, it remembers that we were lost as well, and we were broken as well, and we're just like everybody else on a journey to God, and we learn to love right. Prompted by the Holy Spirit, we pour our lives into others for the sake of the kingdom. And then Paul goes on and adds a little piece about this. He talks about endurance, which I find this incredible because he uses the word endurance, inspired, which are really positive words. I mean, hope, sorry. Inspired and hope are positive words, but he ties it to endurance. It doesn't even make sense. But what he's really saying is this, that life happens. Even when you love, even when you have faith, even when you work, even when you labor, life still happens. Paul knows that they're going to face challenges, and we face challenges. My friend is watching his wife breathe through an apparatus because she can't breathe on her own. She can't talk. She can't move her arms or hands. She made a mistake with the internet. The internet's wonderful, but you, you know, if you really have something wrong, don't, go to a doctor. Don't look it up because it'll discourage you. It'll tell you 20 things that are wrong. Sorry, that's bad advice. That's, sometimes the Bible says, this is God says, and sometimes Paul says, this is Paul. That was Paul, Bill speaking. That, that's, look it up if you like. But I just know many people look it up and they begin to play doctor on their own, and I worry about them. And he made a mistake. He looked it up, and it, this could be years of the fixing without a miracle. And in the middle of all of that, I find him hanging on to God and trusting God. Because the God of his faith and the God of his love works in the challenges of life. I love how C.S. Lewis put it. He said this, God whispers in our pleasures. He speaks in our conscience. And he shouts in our pain. What does he shout? I'm with you. You're not alone. I'm with you. I love what Cole Huffman said, the mark of saints of God is not how well they are doing, but what they do when they aren't doing well. Endurance. William Barclay said, it's the spirit which can bear things, not simply with resignation, but with blazing hope. Here's what these three things combined do. Faith produces love, which becomes the foundation of hope. Faith receives, love gives, hope waits. Faith makes the heart firm. Love makes it soft. Hope expands it. Faith holds fast to what it has received. Love gives up what it has received. Hope triumphs over what is wanting or missing. Faith capacitates us for dominion over this world. Love for ministering to this world and hope for the renunciation of this world. Faith is the confidence of what one hopes for. Love the proof that one has faith 
hope that taking possession of that before we ever arrive. Faith is what ceases us to be in sight. Love is what never ceases to be. And hope is what causes us or ceases to be ours when we actually get to be in full possession of everything God has in mind for us. Faith is childlike. Love is godlike. Hope is saintlike. Let me say it again. Faith is childlike. Love is godlike. Hope is saintlike. And Paul says, that's the order of the church. And I say, wow. One more. Worship. All of this is in our Lord Jesus Christ. It's amazing. That's the God side. All of this comes from God. It's all based and centered in Jesus Christ. I actually looked up, I actually looked up the phrase in the Lord Jesus or in Jesus Christ in the scriptures in my concordance, and I found 89 references. So I thought we'd conclude today by reading all of those. <laughs> Chapter, verse, no, I won't do that to you. But let me give you a summary. Here's what happens when you're in Christ Jesus. According to God, we are justified by faith in Christ. In Christ, we are made a new creation. The old has gone and all has become new. In Christ, we are made alive to God. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We are tested and approved in Christ. We are one body in Christ. We stand firm in Christ. The peace of God will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. He will meet all of your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. In Christ, one day, all will be made alive. We glory in Christ Jesus. Just a sampling. That's the God side. What's the believer side? The believer side is to draw as close to God as you can get. Lean into God. Passionately seek Him. My last message I want to talk to you, the end of June, about the pursuit of God. I couldn't think of a better way to end my time with you and the idea of pursuing God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. There's an invitation here to draw near. And God calls that worship. And I call it, wow. Hmm. See, not only did Paul define God's church, but he actually talks about the wow of the church, the wonder, the order, the worship. And I actually believe in doing so, he gives us an identity. He gives us an identity in Christ Jesus. It's God's love story for you and me. You ready? You ready? Everybody is welcome in God's church. Everybody is welcome in this church. Because this is God's love story, not ours. You ready? Each of us lives in the church we build. So let's build well. Let's build really well. I mean, think about it. Where else in the world could you go and find 
people that pray with thanksgiving and bear one another's burdens? Where else can you go and find a people that rejoice with one another? Where else can you go where you find faith that works and labor that loves and hope that endures? Where else can you go where you're in Christ Jesus and your life is transformed and Christ takes up residence in us? This is the church. 